When the Bio Overflows by Alice Dunbar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Bologna Times. When the Bio Overflows by Alice Dunbar for the American Women's Literature Collection. When the sun goes down behind the great oaks along the bio Tisch, near Franklin, it throws red needles of light into the dark woods and leaves a great glow on the still bio. Ma'am Moton paused at her gate and cast a contemplative look at the red sky. It will rain tomorrow, show. I must get in my things. Ma'am Moton's remark must have been addressed to herself or to the lean dog, for no one else was visible. She moved briskly about the yard, taking things from the line, when Luzette's voice called cheerily. Ah, Mam Motin, can I help? Luzette was petite and plump and black-haired. Luzette's eyes danced, and her lips were red and tempting. Mam Motin's face relaxed as the small brown hands relieved hers of the burden. Sylvie, has he come yet? asked the red mouth. Menon, ma chère, said Mam Motan sadly, I can tell you for why he no come home soon this day. Ah me, I feel like something going to happen. He's so strange. Even as she spoke, a quick nervous step was heard crunching up the brick walk. Sylvain paused an instant without the kitchen door, his face turned to the setting sun. He was tall and slim and agile. A true Cajun. Bonjour, Lucette, he laughed. Eh, mamma? Ah, my son, you are very late. Service frowned, but said nothing. It was a silent supper that followed. Lucette was sad. Mam Motan sighed now and then. Sylvie was constrained. Maman, he said at length, I am going away. Mam Motan dropped her fork and stared at him with unseeing eyes. Then, as she comprehended his remark, she put her hand out to him with a pitiful gesture. Sylvestre, cried Lucette, springing to her feet. Maman, don't, don't, he said weakly. Then, gathering strength from the silence, he burst forth. Yes, I'm going away to work. I'm tired of this. Just dig, dig, work in the field. Nothing to see but the cloud, the tree, the bayou. I don't like New Orleans. It's too near here. There no money, dear. I go up for Mardi Gras, and the same people, the same street. I'm going to Chicago. Sylvese! screamed both women at once. Chicago, that vast, far-off city that seemed in another world. Chicago, a name to conjure with for wickedness. Why, yes, continued Sylvese. Lots of boys I know there. Ari and Joseph Lascaux and Arthur, they write me what money they make in cigar. I can make a living, too. I can make fine cigar. See how I do in New Orleans in the winter. Oh, Sylvain, well, Louisette, then you'll forget me. No, no, mon cher, he answered tenderly. I will come back when the bio overflows again, and Maman and Louisette will have fine present. Mam Motan had bowed her head on her hands and was rocking to and fro in an agony of dry-eyed misery. 
Sylvestre went to her side and knelt. Maman, he said softly, Maman, you must not cry. All de boys go away, and I will come back, reach, and you won't have for de work no more. But Maman Motin was inconsolable. It was even as Sylvestre had said. In the summer time, the boys of the Bayou Teche would work in the field or in the town of Franklin, hack driving and doing odd jobs. When winter came, there was a general exodus to New Orleans, a hundred miles away, where work was to be had as cigar makers. There is money, plenty of it, in cigar making, if one can get in the right place. Of late, however, there had been a general slackness of the trade. Last winter, oftentimes, Sylvester had walked the streets out of work. Many were the Creole boys who had gone to Chicago to earn a living, for the cigar-making trade flourishes there wonderfully. Friends of Sylvester had gone, and written home glowing accounts of the money to be had almost for the asking. When one's blood leaps for new scenes, new adventures, and one needs money, what is the use of frittering away time alternately between the Bayotech and New Orleans? Sylvester had brooded all summer, and now that September had come, he was determined to go. Lisette, the orphan, the girl-lover, whom everyone in Franklin knew would some day be Maman Motin's daughter-in-law, wept and pleaded in vain. Sylvester kissed her with quivering lips. Ma chère, he would say, think I will bring you one fine diamond ring next spring, when the bayou overflows again. Lozette would fain be content with this promise. As for Mame Motin, she seemed to have grown ages older. Her Sylvester was going from her. Sylvester, whose trips to New Orleans had been a yearly source of heartbreak, was going far away for months to that mistily wicked city, a thousand miles away. October came, and Sylvester had gone. Mame Motin had kept up bravely until the last, when, with one final cry, she extended her arms to the pitiless train, bearing him northward. Then she and Lozette went home drearily, the one leaning upon the other. Ah, that was a great day when the first letter came from Chicago. Lozette came running in breathlessly from the post office, and together they read it again and again. Chicago was such a wonderful city, said Sylvester. Why, it was always like New Orleans at Mardi Gras with the people. He had seen Joseph Lascaux, and he had a place to work promised him. He was well, but he wanted, oh, so much, to see Maman and Lozette. But then he could wait. Was ever such a wonderful letter? Lozette sat for an hour afterwards building gorgeous air castles, while Mame Motin fingered the paper and murmured prayers to the Virgin for Sylvester. When the bio overflowed again, that would be in April. Then Lozette caught herself looking critically at her slender brown fingers and blushed furiously, though Mame Motin could not see her in the gathering twilight. Next week there was another letter, even more wonderful than the first. Sylvester had found work. He was making cigars and was earning two dollars a day. Such wages! Mame Moutin and Lozette began to plan pretty things for the brown cottage on the Teche. That was a pleasant winter, after all. True, there was no Sylvester, but then he was always in New Orleans for a few months anyway. 
there were his letters full of wondrous tales of the great queer city where cars went by ropes underground and where there was no mardi gras and the people did not mind lent now and then there would be a present a keepsake for lozette and some money for maman they would plan improvements for the cottage and lozette began to do sewing and dainty crochet which she would hide with a blush if anyone hinted at a trousseau it was march now and springtime the bio began to sweep down between its banks less sluggishly than before it was rising and soon would spread over its tiny levees the doors could be left open now though the trees were not yet green but then down here the trees do not swell and bud slowly and tease you for weeks with promises of greenness dear no they simply look mysterious and their twigs shake against each other and tell secrets of the leaves that will soon be born then one morning you awake and lo it is a green world the boughs have suddenly clothed themselves all in a wondrous garment and you feel the blood run riot in your veins out of pure sympathy one day in march it was warm and sweet underfoot were violets and wee white star flowers peering through the baby grass the sky was blue with flecks of white clouds reflecting themselves in the brown bio Lucette tripped up the red brick walk with the chicago letter in her hand and paused a minute at the door to look upon the leaping waters her eyes dancing i know the bio must be ready to overflow went the letter in the carefully phrased french that the brothers taught at the parochial school and i am glad for i want to see the dear maman and my lucette i am not so well and monsieur le docteur says it is well for me to go to the south again monsieur le docteur sylvie not well the thought struck a chill to the hearts of mam motin and lucette but not for long of course sylvester was not well he needed some of maman's dessins then he was homesick it was to be expected at last the great day came sylvester would be home the brown waters of the bayou had spread until they were seemingly trying to rival the mississippi in width the little house was scrubbed and cleaned until it shone again lizette had looked her dainty little dress over and over to be sure that there was not a flaw to be found wherein sylvester could compare her unfavorably to the stylish chicago girls the train rumbled in on the platform and two pair of eyes opened wide for the first glimpse of sylvester the porter all officiousness and brass buttons bustled up to mam motin this is mrs motin he inquired deferentially mam motin nodded her heart singing where is sylvester he is here madame there appeared joseph lasco then some men bearing something lozette put her hands up to her eyes to hide the sight but mam motin was rigid it was too cold for him joseph was saying to almost deaf ears and he took the consumption he thought he could get well when he come home he talk all the way down about the bio and about you and lozette just three hours ago he had a bad hemorrhage and he died from weakness just three hours ago he said he wanted to get home and give lucette her diamond ring when the bayou 
overflowed. End of When the Bio Overflows by Alice Dunbar